Hello, I'm Josephine Burton and welcome back to the Dash Arts podcast, seeing the world through an artistic lens. A few years ago, Dash Arts hosted an event in London with a bunch of international artists exploring the impact of Brexit on their work. We brought together Boyana Yankovic from Theatre Collective There There, a performance company which proudly asserts on its website to be 50% Romanian and 50% Serbian. Victor Patraskan, a comedian originally from Romania, and theatre maker Miriam Sherwood. Miriam was in the midst of touring her show Rendezvous in Bratislava, a cabaret inspired by her Slovak grandfather. Miriam and her cast performed some excerpts from the show before we also sat down to chat. Since here we are in December 2020, with Brexit still on everyone's lips in the UK and still unclear, we thought we'd revisit the conversation. Back at the Dash Café, I asked Boyana how the referendum had impacted on her work with the theatre company. The last time we did a studio performance was in this very building, it was upstairs, and it was called Eastern Europeans for Dummies, uh, our studio performance. And uh, we had, it was an ongoing project, we'd been working on it for a while, and we had this whole tour planned out. Um, and this was, this was when? This was two months before the referendum. Um, it was a very big project for us at the time. Uh, we wanted to uh, tour it, and we wanted to tour it, and that's partly answer to your question, to areas, especially outside of big cities in the UK, where there's a high proportion of Eastern Europeans, but there's usually no cultural infrastructure. And the fir- we, had these kind- we had some dates, and the first of them was in Sheffield, and it was 48 hours after the referendum. So we were very excited about this. And then the referendum happened, and we were just sitting in my living room thinking, we can't, this show is now irrelevant. Like, this is all, no, nothing makes sense anymore. And the fun thing was that before the referendum, people were telling us, oh, you know, you're a bit too harsh. It's really not that bad. This is all going to go well. And then not only did it not go the way most people in our kind of art circle thought, but also there was this huge spike of violence against Eastern Europeans. And it was as if someone took our tour list and just started burning houses in places where we wanted to go. And so that's when we really reconsidered this idea of we're on stage. Um, and that's not to say it doesn't work for everyone, it just stopped working for us, um, this distance that we had between us and audiences. And we started thinking more about how, do we, how can our work create relationships between cultural institutions and our community, which we think of as Eastern European community, which is very diverse and very, um, not heter- um, very heterogeneous. Uh, and from that, it kind of naturally grew into participatory performance, still performance, just not theater, and then installation-based work. Um, so in a way, I've just realized when you asked that question or you were introducing the question, I, it's actually changed... I work in so many ways, including formally everything that's happened in the last two years. And, and are, the, are the people that you're working with now, are they, largely, uh, are they largely Eastern Europeans or people that we, maybe in the West, we would classify as Eastern Europeans based in the UK, or is it a and, wider audience? Oh, no, classify away. I think our, our politics is, like, we're reclaiming this, this brand, you know? When you, you, you can get called Eastern European and you can either make something out of it or dispelling it really doesn't work, we've learned. But I have to clarify, yeah. does, it include, does it include central Central I mean, Europe. So, so this is the thing. We don't get to decide. I mean, I, I don't know that you would personally agree with this classification, but that is what the majority of population of this country would think, right? So you would consider Czech, the Czech Republic and Slovakia? Yeah. So, like, if you think Eastern. of form... I, I don't like talking in these contexts, but if you think of, you know, like, 
A8 and A2 countries, and if you think of former Yugoslavia, and if you think of Baltic countries, that all gets called Eastern Europe in this country. No one who lives in these countries call them, calls themselves Eastern European, because we have layered identities. But I think here, our experience has been this just get plast gets plastered on you, you know, as an identity, and then you do something with it. Um, but in answer to your question, I think what we are interested in is, is, is actually, you know, we work with a lot of participants that we try to share the kind of agency with, I suppose, because one other thing that happened after the referendum is we kind of became poster kids for Eastern Europeans making uh, art. We got so many calls from so many people it was great and it was devastating because suddenly we were just called to represent, you know, and we don't want to represent 1.5 million people. And so we just thought, let's just start sharing this space uh, with other members of our community and who identify as being part of this community. So while, yes, we mostly work with Eastern European immigrants, we don't do it on our own where only the immigrants can see it. We think about how does it exist in spaces where the audiences are mixed and where the audiences are diverse, and when you can create opportunities for people to talk about immigration in a way that's low-key, but it's also low pressure, but it's also removed a bit from the headlines, you know, uh, and from a very toxic environment that's outside, because I think it's actually a bit of a taboo, uh, and so we try to create environments where that's not the case. And what kind of places will you, what, what, in what sort of spaces will you use to do that? Are they theatres? Are they community centres? So we try to work a lot in, in, in cultural institutions. So, for example, the project that we've been um, working on for a while, uh, by which I mean we, do it, we develop it and we do it over and over again, is called Trigger Warning. And it's a collection of games. They're fair games, very British games, um, that we've given an immigrant twist. So you can steal a job and you can scrounge on benefits by playing games and you can be a health tourist. So you can live the life of an immigrant, right? Um, <laughs> And so the first time we did that in the installation route at the moment, we did actually did at the Tate Exchange space, the Tate Modern. And that was a huge deal for us because there are not a lot of Eastern Europeans in Tate Modern. There's a bit of Marina Abramovic, and there's a bit of like, oh, look, it was so sad during communism. Here's a photo. Um, but there's, there's very little of that. And so we thought, okay, we made it and people come and play it, but what we did is we had this open call for everyone who identified as Eastern European, and then we worked with six, we called them invigilators, but basically six people, very different, like second generation immigrants, so people who were born here, not recognized or identified by anyone as Eastern European, by day, but they identified it to people who've been in London for a month. And we kind of explained the project to them, and then we just let them do it so that they can disagree with us, they can do whatever they want, really. Um, and they play the games with the audience. Uh, and I, I just want to say this very importantly because I, we find institutions don't think this is always the case. We pay everyone uh, a li the living wage at least for every hour that they work with us. Um, and so that was a way, you know, you have like something ridiculous for 4,000 people you get in Tate, a Tate exchange over the course of a weekend. But those people, a lot of them, you know, are not immigrant, <laughs> obviously, a lot of them are also tourists. And you get to create, to help create situations where immigrants, Eastern European immigrants, who are exposed to all this hostility, actually get to lead the conversation with visitors who are British, who are tourists, who are of all passports. And so there's big institutions like that. 
Uh, there's also a lot of kind of festivals that we do it in. Uh, we've also traveled quite a lot with that installation, so we do it. The last place we did it was B-Side, um, a festival in Portland, on the Isle of Portland, of the, uh, in Dorset. Um, in Portland, there's has a very small immigrant population, but interestingly, Weymouth, which is like a 10-minute ride, has quite a big one, and, but n no one in Portland thinks about that, right? It's, it's, they like, it's kind of a place that's very proud of being a bit isolated geographically. Um, so I think for us it's important, I don't want to say, oh, like, it's a big cultural institution, but it's important for us to bring these conversations outside of the aspiric context, because it's very easy to just get stuck in there, and then it's just the immigrants talking about how yeah. bad it is, you know? And so... That's not what we want to do. And have you, in, in that you've been on a journey clearly personally over the last three years, I suppose, three or four years over this, I mean, before and after, it sounds like it's been your journey. Um, have you seen, have you seen, have you seen um, uh, your audiences go on journeys too? I mean, do people talk about different, do they respond differently now to your work? Yeah, I mean, it also depends on where you do it. You know, I think that's a great, great thing about it is that um, you really get to experience the, the, diff the political differences of the UK, um, I think. And in a way, you know, it's very nice of me to sit here and say, take exchange, 4,000 people, great. But actually, those audiences mostly voted Remain. Um, and those audiences, I think there's, if they had the right to vote, and I think there's something great about what we see is people enjoying the opportunity to just vent. People love venting, and you can see that there's no opportunity for them to do so or that maybe when there is, it's with the same circle like all of us, whatever the subject, with the same circle of friends and family. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice to be able to do it in the public arena, because galleries and theaters and festivals, they're the public sphere, right? Um, but I also think when you go to places that were a bit more undecided, where there's more of an obvious split, when you go to institutions that are not so, we also did it at the National Maritime Museum, very different audience, right. and also a lot of young children. And then you see parents having to Kids love the games. One of them is called Hook a Job. So it's like, it's like Hook a Duck. There's a lot of ducks. Kids just run for it. And so you, you see parents having to explain this, like having to figure out how they're going to explain to their kids what's happening. So that's been very interesting because what we've seen as a journey is parents have actually had to figure, figure this out over the course of the last two years because kids inevitably hear what's happening and pick up on stuff. Um, and I think we've seen the negotiation. We've seen the five stages of grief or happiness, you know, like or denial to depression. And I think we're now working towards acceptance, except it's difficult because no one knows what's going to happen. So, so, so I, I, we, we, Boyana and I were having a very brief conversation upstairs about about her, Boyana's own personal. Um, I, met, I referenced it earlier by by being uh, she's Serb Serbian, therefore not an EU member. Um, and do you think that? Uh, that has had you actually being a slight outsider to the whole thing has had an impact on on the work on your work and the way that the audiences respond to the work um, I don't mean to sound harsh but I think most people don't know that I'm a non-EU citizen <laughs> I think uh, I think when you say you're from Serbia there's one of two um, one of two things you hear back well three the third one is okay or like Siberia and stuff like that um, and then there's the war crimes uh, that we've committed and genocide that we've committed. So that's one thing that you get. People love talking about that. And then, um, and then there's Novak Djokovic, who's a tennis player. Um, so that's it. You know, I, I really think I'm happy to talk about 
well, not happy to talk about war crimes, but I think it's important to talk about um, them. And no one, I, I don't know, I don't know how many people actually know where the EU stops. It has had an impact on my personal life uh, because I was put through an entirely different immigration system. At, and at some point I switched and I'm now, I, I was mentioning to, um, to you earlier, I'm now a proud feminist who's legally classified as a family member of a new citizen. So I'm not a person in my own right. Um, and so that means that having been expelled from the kind of non-EU route, because there were no more ways, and having transferred to the EU route, I'm now for the second time experiencing this complete insecurity. Um, and also, I mean, such a tiny minority of people that we are not, like no one has mentioned us yet. We are at the bottom of everyone's list, I think. So I think, yeah, that has influenced the work. I think if I had to kind of pin it down, Dana is my, Dana Olerescu, who I work with, who's the other half of there there, she's Romanian. And I think our different legal statuses have meant that we have had to look at this whole idea of Eastern Europeanism and immigration in a more layered way. Because I think there's an instinct to just go like, oh no, everyone's the same and everyone has the same experience. And that's not true, because here on this stage, we have four very different experiences of citizenship, I would want to, to, to say, having met all of you like half an hour ago. Um, and Dana, she arrived here as a Romanian by the time when transitional agreements were still in place, so she needed a work permit that was very restrictive and difficult to get, that pushed a lot of Romanian Bulgarian citizens into um, very low-paid jobs. Uh, I, on the other hand, as Dana, you know, as we often talk about, if you're a non-EU citizen, it's very difficult to get here without, you, you can't get a visa if you don't have some money in the bank. And that money has gone exponentially up mm. since I've been here. And we have ways of like moving that money around, but it's still like, you know, you, you can't, unlike a new citizen, you can't arrive here with a hundred pounds. So I think it's influenced our lives and by extension uh, our work. And I think it's given us a different set of insecurities, but it's also made us just know that not everything is the same, that there are no two experiences which are the same. Great. That's great. I'm going to come back to you, and I want to, and I want to talk about where, you're, where the, where the non-theatre company is going next. I, I want to bring in Victor, but I know, I'm sure that you've, guys got, we've, you've got questions for Boyana, um, but we will we'll come back to that. Um, but Vic, uh, Victor actually, kindly, he let on just before we came on stage, he's got a gig later tonight. So it's like, you know, he's really, he's squeezing us into his very busy, <laughs> into his very busy comedy schedule. Um, um, Victor, tell, so Victor, you, you, um, you're Romanian, and, and when did you come to the UK? Unfortunately, I am Romanian. Hello, everybody. Uh, hello, hello. Uh, when did I come yeah. over here? Uh, I came here about six years ago. I uh, came here with a heart full of dreams. Just a backpack full of clothes and an asshole full of drugs. But anyway, uh, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of that, so sorry for everyone who's offended. Uh, so yeah, I came here to do comedy. I came here uh, to do comedy and an MA as well, uh, and, uh, to study film at UCL. And so you were, already, you were already performing in a No, way. no, no. I started, uh, I started over here because uh, the way that I uh, found out about uh, stand-up uh, was through piracy. I just pirated a lot of like specials from Jerry Seinfeld and I saw Jerry Seinfeld do comedy and I went like I can do it too and uh, probably not but uh, you know that's that's uh, that's how I uh, got in contact there's no uh, like stand up comedy like stand up comedy as an art form into itself uh, there's not uh, there was nothing like that in eastern europe there were monologues and like actors doing uh, doing uh, like 
one person kind of shows, but stand up as like a, a, an art form into itself, there was none of that. But now it's starting to, to, to kind of re <clears throat> become more and more popular, and there are scenes in any other Eastern European countries. Uh, like there's comedians and people doing stand up and stuff. So yeah. And so give us a. I guess you're gonna you're gonna probably let on your, sh your you will give us a sense of your performance through your witty <laughs> repartee. But to, do you do you draw on your do you draw on your background as part of your part of your uh, your gig? Uh, for a while, I didn't like to because I tried to consider myself as anyone else on stage. So just a normal person, just talking about all sorts of weird stuff that I have in my mind. But after a while, I realized that it's an elephant in the room. You know, it's like people hear my accent and immediately they go, where is that from? You know what I mean? So I just decided that I just, let's address it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And as I addressed it more and more, I became more comfortable with saying that I'm Romanian and, you know, do jokes about it and stuff like that. So it's, it, 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 it comes with time. I don't know if I'm answering your questions. You're I'm totally trying to. answering the question. Um, yeah. With, uh, with, with, perfectly. So, um, so you, so you, you started on the comedy rounds a couple yeah. of years ago, like. Uh, yeah, about four years ago. Um, and then, and then, and then, did you? I mean, coming back to my question to Boyano mm -hmm. about how she, how uh, the, the referendum impacted on her work. Did you? Did you? Have you? Has have things felt different to you? in the last couple of years to how they were before? And yeah, a bit, uh, a bit. I think uh, audiences are a bit more vocals. Uh, you get more heckles, like people yelling out all sorts of what, random things. But uh, what, I understand what, what sometimes... What kind of random things? Just, you know, just go back to your country or really explicit stuff. Uh, <laughs> but to a certain extent, you know, uh, that can be seen as vitriolic. And I understand that. But most of the times, it's just people want to get, in, get involved, right? Like at the, beginning, uh, at the beginning, I thought that people are just mean. Oh, this thing happened after Brexit. But as I started talking to people, people just want to, you know, laugh about it. And of course, they're going to mention about me being Romanian and stealing all sorts of stuff, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, they're British, and I'm going to say that they steal stuff too, you know? <laughs> But this is, you know, and sometimes they can be seen as vitriolic. Like you can read into it and you go, oh, this is a mean person. But no, it's just a little bit of back and forth, you know. Like I've, uh, there's a lot of comedians nowadays. Uh, there's a lot of immigrant comedians, uh, you know. Uh, everyone's like doing their own things. But I can see some people kind of uh, most of the times not give pe people the benefit of the doubt, right? Like it comes this way and the other way. It's like reciprocal. It's... Um, the benefit of the doubt, I, I think we're too f quickly to judge that people are mean or that people are, you know, bigoted or hateful. Most of the times they just want to, you know, they're curious or they just want to have a little rapport, right? Like uh, uh, people are, get upset when uh, someone asks them where they're from. You know, like what, what else do you want people to ask you? Like they've just met you. You know, they barely know your name. Of course they're going to ask you where you're from, right? Like, I've seen English people ask each other that. Hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from that village. Oh, I used to date a girl from that village. You know, it's just create rapport with people. I don't know. And are you, are you touring the country? Uh, yeah, that's, that's just too much. Um, 
I'm just gigging anywhere that will have me, <laughs> basically. So you, but, but do you, I guess the question about how the audiences have changed, uh, do you have different responses to your, to your um, shtick yeah. outside, outside London? Um, to a certain extent, in that like each, each audience is, is, is an organism to itself. Like this audience right here is different from any other audiences uh, ever. In a good way. Yeah. You know, like uh, people are going to be uh, are going to be different, but I that's something in me that quite enjoys the fact that I know that that area voted leave, and I still go there, and people are like, yeah, all right, if it's funny, it's funny, we're going to laugh at it, right? Like, if it's good, it's good. You know, I'm not saying that mine is good. I'm, I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like people are decent. Like people, are, most people, I honestly believe it that the, most people are. Just, you know, normal people. They just want to love their partners and, you know, raise a family and be safe. That's everybody, right? Like, wherever you're from. Or I feel like we divide ourselves too much into, like, all sorts of little nationalities. And, of course, we can take this to an extreme. And, of course, there are things that only Romanians know or care about and only, like, Serbians or people from Burkina Faso or wherever people are from, right? I feel like we, we don't look at our human nature and what's, what are the things that connect each other. And we're ready to judge, oh, they're anti. Oh, most of the time, they're not. Sometimes they are. Like, there are some awful people out there. And do you, do you find that like, at the end, like, you know, later, in the, if you're not running off to another gig, at the end of the night, do people come and want to talk to you? Do, do you have like interesting... Not if I bump, <laughs> no. Not if you bump. All right, let's say you have a good night. Yeah. And you're sitting having a pint, a relief pint at the end of the evening. Do you, do you have quite interesting... You know, people, do people come and want to engage you? Yeah, sometimes you? people ask me if I'm really from Romania. Like I would put this on <laughs> and choose Romania. <laughs> so sometimes it's that. Sometimes people ask me where I'm from and they go, oh, I used to like... I visited Romania, you know, during the communist times, and this is what happened, and there was no food in the stores, or I visited Romania like two years ago, and I got robbed, and, you know, it's just sharing things. If, if I would meet, like, a British person, I would go, oh, I lived in London for a few years, and it was horrible, and I went through depression. <laughs> but, you know, it's just building connection. What are you going to talk about, people, right? And do they engage you directly on the referendum, with the referendum? Not everyone. It's like, it's just people who would do that, right? Because right? if, if you think about, like, you go to a show and there's like 300 people in the room and you go, I need to talk to the performer. It's me now. You know, you, you, you need a special, a special kind of person to actually do that in the first place. Right. Um, so, yeah, but now people most, most of the times are, are, are nice. Of course, I've met some really nasty people, right? Like, <laughs> been scared to leave the club and everything. Um, but that's, that's going to happen. You know what I mean? It is going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I feel like most, most people are, uh, are, are, are decent. And do you, so tell, tell us a little bit about what you've done, because this year you... I became aware of your work mm -hmm. because you, you launched the Eastern European Comedy Festival for the first time. Um, tell us about it and, and, and uh, whether, you know, like the, the, the genesis of you creating this new project. Yeah. So uh, the, the whole project uh, started from uh, a bunch of Romanian comedians who are based in London who left Romania because they, their career wasn't going well. Uh, <laughs> and, and me. <laughs> 
Um, so we started doing uh, Romanian shows for the Romanian community, and we figured out that there's, uh, there are people who left their countries and still want to hear their language, you know, the language that they grew up with, and want to meet people that have shared, you know, their history and the references with. And we realized that, oh, maybe there's other countries in this world with people that feel like we do. And we realized that all of Eastern Europe is full of countries just like that. And uh, so we started uh, uh, this, this February, we started uh, the Eastern European Comedy Festival, which is a, co is a festival uh, for the communities and for the local people as well. So what do I mean by that? So for example, we got uh, comedians from about 12, 15 countries, something like that. So uh, uh, people from uh, the former Yugoslavia who uh, speak Serbian to do shows for the Serbian people, right? Like uh, Russians to do shows for people who understand the language, Romanians doing shows for people who understand Romanian and so on, as well as shows in English, whoever could speak English, do shows in English to prove to the British that we're just humans. Oh, I got an awe. <laughs> and how did it go down? Hi, it was fantastically, uh, fant uh, I'm fantastically over the moon. Uh, we got, uh, uh, we, we did the shows and people came and we didn't think it was going to work, but we're planning to do another one next year, so. And we hope that the Brexit is going to help, <laughs> right, to, to sell some tickets. <laughs> we're advertising the festival as this is the last time you're going to be able to see this. Uh, so, yeah. And do you, do you, um, are you, are you now, you're now performing stand-up in Romanian as well as English? Barely in Romanian. It's very strange because it feels like I'm doing it in a second language. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's very strange to kind of, uh, you can't really translate jokes. Uh, some you can, some you can't. It's, yeah, it's, it's very, it's, it's very weird. So, uh, but mostly in English because that's why I came here, yeah. to, to do it in English. And, and, um, and, and how many of the performers that you're bringing over to perform to their community are able to kind of transcend language and perform, to in, perform in English? Hmm? Most, I would say, because most people, that's how uh, they, learn, uh, they, they learn the craft and they discover it. They go online and they see Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld and Patrice O'Neill and Bill right. Burr and other people. Uh, and yeah, they, they go, oh, I like this. But you need to kind of uh, learn it in a way because it's very... Uh, Anglo-centric right now, so it's either like the biggest comedians in the world are either uh, from this country or from the United States. Yeah. So this is, the, the, they are the people that everyone kind of looks up to when they start. So the, the, most of them know English. And, the, and presumably the humor is quite, sometimes quite different. But the, the humor is different in, in the way that uh, references work. For example, uh, 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 for example, uh, a communist joke, right? This is a communist joke from uh, before the revolution in Romania. A uh, man goes into a shop uh, and asks, uh, hey, do you have bread here? And the shopkeeper says, we don't have bread, uh, we don't have meat here. They don't have bread next door, right? <laughs> so in order to understand that joke, you need to know that communists live through poverty and there was nothing in the shops, right? But you only need to know that. It's not like intrinsic, like laughter is not... in. You know what I mean? Like, it's universal, but just the references differ, right? Like, no one invented humor. It's, it's, it's a human thing. What did you ask me? Sorry, I'm, I, I, I got distracted. I, I, it doesn't matter. I was, I, I was asking you, you were effectively were saying yeah. that the, the jokes are the same, whether you're saying them in different languages. Yeah, yeah humor but, is humor. But actually, what I wanted to say, because it comes back to the question that Boyana was, mm -hmm. was talking about, about, you know, this sort of lump 
this lump group of Eastern Europeans. Because, of course, in some ways, you all did go through a certain experience of living through communism. And that joke there, I, I, you know, we, had a, we had a cafe, Dash Cafe, a few years ago about Soviet humor. And you know, this, that, that, that joke was pretty much told in Russian, and I'm sure it was told in Ukrainian, yeah. and it, I'm sure it probably was told in various other mm -hmm. Eastern European languages over the, over the, over the years. Yeah. And I wondered, actually, if there is a common experience that... Um, I mean, this is a question for you both that like that transcends the nationalis the nationalities like do you find that subject to being able to understand the languages are there um, are there audiences that will sit in in your comedy show who aren't from Romania who'll come and see the Romanian comedian no because they don't understand the language understand so you need to understand what the the, the, the the building blocks are so the references that also means the language you need to understand what yeah. the words mean uh, but uh, humor is humor. Like if you see like an old man fall down the stairs, it's hilarious anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's probably not nice to the old person, but you know, everyone will laugh at that. You know, like Chaplin, like the silent comedy, it, you put it on planes or Mr. Beans. You know, they, they show it on, on planes and there's people from all over the world watching and laughing at the same thing because it's, it's universal, right? Like if Charlie Chaplin would have uh, uh, tripped on uh, one of those spitting buckets that they used to have in those times, most people would not understand why that's funny, you know, on the next level, but he still falls down. It's still like a human... Does it make sense what I'm yeah. saying? And so, so to a certain point, humor is universal. To a certain point, it's not. It's co completely makes yeah. sense. And, and, and before, I, before I move on to Miriam, one last question for yeah. you. Um, if you're doing a stand-up in Wakefield and you're and in a pub and there are Roman do Romanians come or the Roma do you are the, is the pub reaching out to the Roma are there Romanians in Wakefield and if there are Romanians in Wakefield are they coming to the, are they coming to see you and do you have the do, you, do will they come and engage with you and uh, see you up backstage afterwards and do you hear do you get any feedback from yeah, Romanians yeah, sometimes, in the sometimes I do for example I did uh, uh, the Edinburgh festival uh, uh, this past August and I did my own show and most most of the shows I had Romanians in the audience kind of going I want to see what this is all about you know like not knowing each other or not communicating between themselves but yeah people just showed up as well as Scottish people and British and like all sorts of other countries that I don't want to name now because they're going to, oh, you're going to forget about that country. You forget my country. No, it's all the countries. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, everyone, everyone's supportive, again, as long as it's, it's good. Because I have also bombed in front of Romanians. And, oh my God, you don't want to do that in front of Romanians because they will tell you. <laughs> you shouldn't have done this. You should stay at home. And, you know, this is probably an Eastern European thing. Uh, like people will tell you to your face. It's this is what I've noticed about uh, like immigrant or I think the the di biggest differences are like the class differences rather than nationality differences. Um, people, if you you kind of uh, um, are endearing to them and you, you, if you manage to get their trust, they will go with you till the end of the world. If you don't manage to do that, they will go. You suck. Just leave us alone. Right? Like. What, what's good is good, right, like croissants, right? They're f great, right? Regardless of this Brexit, whatever it is going to go, they're still going to remain a great food, right? <laughs> Regardless of what you think of the French, what the French have done in the past, you know. Surely it depends who makes them. Sorry? I mean, Sainsbury's croissants. Yeah. 
not so good. Well, then we go into the debate of can, should we just uh, fly in croissants from France because that's the only place that they do it. You know, we go into intellectual property and uh, cultural appropriation and, you know, should people in Leicester make halloumi cheese? <laughs> just leave the halloumi cheese to the Cypriot people. They can't even have a whole island to themselves. <laughs> you know, just let them the cheese. But you know, this is, uh, I, I, we, we came here to appropriate a culture. I came here to appropriate this language and this culture and to try to prove that it can be done better. No. <laughs> but this is cultural appropriation. Like to a certain point, we just learn from each other, right? Like you go to a friend's house, you, they make tea, you go, oh, how did you make the tea? And the person explains, oh, well, you take the water and you boil it and then you steal the tea from the Indians and the cups from the Chinese and then, you know, you, you make tea. This is what we do, we learn from each other. It's, it's a different conversation when there's countries, you know, like, you know, China builds a wall, Trump sees the wall, he goes, oh, I want to build one my own. You know what I mean? So that's a bit weird. But, you know, we learn from each other. You know what's never I want to bring bring my Brianna back and and Victor, um, but I want to also give uh, Miriam a chance to speak. Um, Thank you so much, Miriam, for for, for sharing your work with us this evening. Can you tell us about it? Tell us about the genesis of why it came about and when. Yes, uh, it won't be as articulate as Brianna or as funny as Victor. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, uh, I don't actually know when I had the idea to make the show because um, in in my grandma's flat, which I grew up spending time in, there were his cabaret posters everywhere. Um, but And I knew what he was, but I, I never met him and we didn't actually talk about him. My grandma died and, and she was living in Munich. So they immigrated and, um, and so they were persecuted by the communists after my granddad spoke out uh, during the Prague Spring, like lots of other people, and they were allowed to emigrate and they moved to Germany. Um, anyway, so my grandma's flat is, was rented because everyone in Germany rents, and so we didn't have very much time to uh, pack it up. And, um, and yeah, I mean, talk about it in the, sh- in the show, but uh, she, the, the flat was quite larger than life like she was and covered covered... Every, every inch was covered with something of hers, but actually behind all of that stuff, as I mentioned in the extract, was all of my granddad's stuff. And cabarets, which I used to say in the show that uh, we thought that all the cabarets were lost, and my mum corrected me. I thought all the cabarets were lost, because she knew perfectly well that they were there, but she didn't ever think to mention that to me. So, uh, so then it started to be a bit more of a real thing in my head, um, that maybe we could uh, find something... I thought we could just find like a brilliant script and maybe perform that. And then I found out that maybe funny is, is not funny. <laughs> um, I mean, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any one script I thought, oh, we could do this in its entirety and, and a London audience or a British audience would really enjoy it. I don't know, it would have to be like a relic or it would have to be like exactly as it was and then academics would come and say, oh, that's how it was. Um, so, um, but I started reading my granddad's autobiographies and, and finding all these things that I felt connected to and, yeah, decided to make a show that, um, that told his story, which is kind of amazing, but used his, um, 
his kind of tricks and his format and the idea of the cabaret, which isn't really like what English people think as a cabaret, like burlesque dances and things. It's more like a variety show, like a monologue, a joke, uh, not probably preceding stand-up, like with, a, with an MC and, 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 a, and a dance troupe and an orchestra. And, um, and I found a book that he wrote, which was basically how to do a variety review. So I, I read that. Um, and uh, there's, there's a section about, there's a, there's a heading which is called acrobatics. And then it says, acrobatics are not necessary. <laughs> so I was, I was very relieved. Um, and um, yeah, and it got uh, Will and Tom involved. They're both composers and, um, and, and they wrote the, the music for it. And, it, and we started, uh, well, I started with a 10 minute scratch um, which was meant to have a, a Slovak band and I put some ads out on the internet and, and no one got in touch and then it was about a week before and I thought, oh, this isn't supposed to be a one-woman show and I did some more better Googling and I found a Slovak community theatre group in London and a phone number and I called them and they said, we're rehearsing today, um, come and meet us and they agreed to be in the first 10-minute scratch um, and they were calling me Mirka after 10 minutes, and then no one has ever called me that in my life. And um, they were really excited to meet an English person who spoke Slovak, and so they helped me with the 10 minutes. And then um, that was at BAC, and then we started to develop it a bit more, and we started with the ending, because it's all about music. Um, uh, my granddad ended up in prison, and one of the reasons was that he played a record to an audience of one person in his living room. So we started with that, and yeah, it was a really fun process of because all, there's so much material, but it's all in Slovak. So I was reading, translating, telling Will and Tom, oh, there's this interesting thing, there's that interesting thing. They were saying, oh, I feel like writing a song about family connections. I feel like writing a song about the Park Spring, and and we sort of then we ended up with the music, and then we threaded it together. Um, yeah. Was it, was it uh, from the outset, did you always Im imagine that you'd be performing in Slovak as well as in English? Or did that emerge through the process? Um, yeah, it definitely emerged. Um, you grew up in Slovak at home? Uh, yes, yeah, so my mum uh, spoke only Slovak to me. Um, yeah, it wasn't a conscious decision. Um, in fact, I think it came much later. Uh, so we added the Slovak intro, which you saw sort of as a, as a joke. And then the next time we did it, I decided I'm going to greet people in Slovak just to kind of disorient them a bit um, and, and give them a, a, some Slovak alcohol because that's a good way to start the show. <laughs> um, and, and then I think later, uh, uh, I put the Slovak, so like you saw when I read the quote from the book and we have the translation, we added that later because I talk so much <laughs> in the show and we wanted to break it up a bit and uh, I, I, most of the story that I'm telling I'm paraphrasing him so we wanted to be clear when it's a direct quote and and then I really like the idea of their hearing his voice in a way and um, I, I like the idea of uh, people people hearing Slovak and then um, and then we have a joke so we have three other performers in the show who are Slovak um, and and they they join us on stage and, and introduce themselves in Slovak. And, and when we first did that um, in the 10 minutes, um, everyone found that so hilarious, like unbelievably funny, um, just to hear them speaking Slovak, um, which I've found very surprising. <laughs> 
Um, so we kept because that. Because it was so surprising. Why did they? Why? Yeah, they? I think they thought because you were in BAC performing, and he was. Yeah, I, I think they just thought the idea that maybe that they would be expected to understand it, or I don't know. I was surprised. Um, and someone asked me later if all five of these miscellaneously aged and shaped people were my family. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, so we liked it. We liked that kind of disorientating thing and, and, and that people, people do hear those languages around them and, it, and it's nice to hear it and hear it spoken well. Not well, I don't speak Slovak well, but to hear nice sentences that are written and hear a Slovak author in his words and now we have projection technology we can do that Yeah, that was we started in uh, 2016, just after the referendum, and then um, and then been developing it since then. And the show's growing as it grows yeah. over time. So yeah, so it, it was 10 minutes, then it was 40 minutes, and now it's 90 minutes. It's just going to grow. No, that's it. Now. <laughs> no, it's going to stop now. And do you do you find that it's been an amazing? Have you been encountering, learning about your family through this process? Do you have have yeah. you? Has it found you? Has it given you a place in this world? Um, maybe. Um, I think. Yeah, I was thinking about what Victor was saying about you know, resisting uh, talking about where you're from, because um, I I've people my whole life people have asked me where I'm from. And I've, and I've, or in, in London, like people have walked up from behind me and said, where are you from? And they haven't even seen my face, so. Um, and I used to really resist, and I'd say, I'm from down the road, and, you know. And then if I was in a good mood, I would say, oh, I was born in London, but my mum's from Slovakia, and my dad's from Hungary. And, um, and, and, yeah, I think over the course of doing the show, it's made me more likely to default to that, like I'm happy to say that. And, um, and I, think, I think that's the only thing that, um, that the, the referendum vote really affected about the show for me is that I felt a little bit more like, actually, I should say. And I, and I think it's important if you sound English and you look English that you should say, well, I'm an immigrant too, or, you know, I'm, I'm the child of immigrants and, and that's a good thing and I'm proud of it. So I think that's, that's what came a bit stronger maybe, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great thing to, to have, I've found out about his life and I've, and I talked to my mum, so the, the, the interview that you saw, I did that for the show and it's sort of, the show gave me an excuse to ask these questions. And uh, after we did the first 40 minutes, I asked my mum, did she ever look into the secret police um, files on my grandparents? 
and she hadn't because they didn't want to know who had been informing on them and that kind of thing. But, um, but you, there are loads of other files. So um, she wrote, we wrote to the Institute of Public Memory or National Memory, some brilliantly named building in Bratislava. And um, it was a Sunday afternoon. And I only, I only had the guts to ask her because I was already making the show. And she... So, yeah, she got in touch with this man who replied within about 15 minutes and said, yes, this should be possible because I've spent the last year digitizing your uh, father's files. Um, because it turns out that not only did he write, like, hundreds of cabarets and books and collect everything he'd ever written and anyone else had ever written, but also there are 3,500 pages about him. Um, and and it, what is suspicious political activities? Um, no, it, it, well, so it's, it's exceptional not because he was exceptional at all, but just it's exceptional because most files were destroyed and for some reason his wasn't, and in particular the operational files, so nothing to do with his suspicious activity, and mostly just like hundreds of pages about failed attempts to plant a bug in the flat. Um, oh, with this mission was aborted because the object came home early today. And, uh, <laughs> No, like really, really detailed. So your next show, perhaps. That's yeah. We did have a joke in the show that was about how that was parts two to five of the show, but maybe I'm not ruling it it's out. The next ninety minutes. It's, it's exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. So I'm gonna have it open up to the floor because I'm sure people have questions. And um, anyone has any questions for Miriam about her show, Boyano about her work, Victor about his, and he'll just outclass me with his humour. Um, any, any, uh, in a good way. Um, anyone, anyone, any questions? Oh, thank you very much. Um, you spoke about humour being a kind of universal human reaction to certain situations that are just objectively funny. Um, but so much of kind of, it seems especially at the moment, there's so much of dark humour and black humour and political correctness that humour can be very divisive. Do you sort of find humour generally a divisive or a unifying? force? Uh, that's an interesting question. The thing is, um, I believe that there's a new theory of humor that says that uh, something is humorous when two uh, criteria meet at the same time. So something needs to be benign, but a violation at the same time. So if you think of the, like a situation like a Venn diagram, uh, uh, the meeting where benign meets a violation, that's that's apparently what humorous is, right? And people and different cultures and different groups have different things that they consider violations and different things that they consider benign, right? So let me give you an example. Uh, for example, tickling, right? That uh, elicits laughter, right? Elic uh, why, why do people laugh, right? Like, um, <clears throat> so that can be uh, uh, benign if someone does it from afar, right? Like tries to, eh, see? Uh, maybe th this is this is this is a violation, but it's it's all right because you know we have this kind of yes, there, there's a there's a bit of bit uh, removed. But imagine if I try to tickle you while we're on the bus, <laughs> right? And we haven't met each other. You'd be like, this is not funny. This is weird now, right? So when it comes to, uh, I feel like that there's a cultural move, move now where uh, people, uh, because of this mix of people from all over the world, people don't really know exactly what to say and what not to say. You know, like the question, where are you from? This is seen as offensive to some, 
right? Like I'm, I've, I've seen so many jokes and so many awful things that I'm just kind of emotionally removed from everything. So anything from like children having happened like awful things to them, that sometimes can be funny to me because I've just too much, right? I, I've, I've become desensitized. So let's get back to the question, <laughs> right? That's important. It's totally unifying. Right, like uh, uh, people, uh, 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 it becomes divisive when people like take a moral uh, high ground and they go, oh, I'm not joining this. But humor is contagious, right? Like here, right now, like we started, you know, slow and maybe one, two laughs, but now, you know, if it's funny, everyone kind of keeps, feels comfortable and everyone's, you know, starting to become, you need, com you need a bit of comfort in order to, to, to laugh. And it's, at the same time, it's contagious. If you hear someone laughing, like, like on the bus, you hear someone laughing at the back, you go, what's, what's happening, right? Like, and they keep laughing, and you go, ah, oh, I'm going to join in. I don't know, it's, 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 it's strange, but it definitely brings people together. Like, we, had, uh, we were talking earlier about the communist jokes, right? Like, communist jokes actually brought people together because they shared something, right? And the, the problem with offensive comedy nowadays is taken out of context, right? Like, we are here now, and we are sharing this moment, right? If I say, like, jokes about children uh, being, I don't know, awfully hurt, this is between us here. There's a contract in that, right? If you take that, what I've just said now, out of this place and out of this context, people are going to go, what? There are jokes about children being hurt? That's, that's yeah. outrageous, right? But if you're here, you go like, ah, oh, he just said that, and then he said something else, and it doesn't matter anymore, right? And I think that's, that's what's affecting comedy nowadays. Being taken, the thing being taken out of context, people taking the moral high ground. But at the end of the day, it's, it's unifying. It's, it's people from, like right now, people right here, everywhere, wherever you're from, we understand each other, and you understand the things, you know what I mean? Does it make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. And so do you, would you, I mean, with that in question in mind, would you, do you actually tackle the referendum head on in your set? Yeah. Like, it'd be weird if I wouldn't, right? Like, it's, it's a political stance, just me being on stage, yeah. right? And I don't want to turn it into something more like, oh, here, guys, um, I came all the way from Eastern Europe with this knowledge, <laughs> and I'm here to impart it to you. No, it's... It's, I, I need to talk about it because people go, okay, he's Romanian, what does he think about yeah. it? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's an elephant in the room. And do you feel the ripple in the, do, you, do you feel that energy changing and shifting as you, as you mention it? And does it, does it dissipate as people start laughing? How would you explain that? Uh, it, it depends how, how in depth you go into it, uh, what your position is. Uh, it's, it's very complex, this, this humor thing. <laughs> it's very difficult to do. Um, I don't know how to, to, to explain. It feels like everyone knows that right now it's a bad decision, right? Like you started off by saying that we're not going to make a judgment on Brexit. It's, I, I think it's impossible. Like if you're going to talk about it, you're going to say how you feel about it, right? And yeah, there we go. Right on, madam. And you, you go on with your point of view on the, on the thing, right? And some people are going to believe the same thing as you do, and some people won't. It depends how deep the joke is. I don't know. See, it's, it's a divisive thing. It's a divisive 
subject. The country is divided because there's no consensus on what is true anymore. So that's, that's the strange thing and I think the new thing in comedy. Because nobody really knows what it's, it's true. But I think it's obvious to everybody that Brexit is uh, basically, you know when you have like a portion of chips and people are starting to take one chip and then another chip and you decide to take a shit on all of the chips <laughs> so nobody can have chips, but now you, you can't have chips either. But you are happy that no one else got any? That's Brexit. There you go, that's Brexit, right? But actually, I want to come back to that point that you were just saying about how it's a new thing. I, 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 my sense is that comedy is all about, always about spinning one kind of truth. Yes, but it's, for example, the, the jokes during the communist times worked because uh, everyone knew who the, adversary, uh, who the enemy was, right? There was no, uh, uh, people weren't debating, you know, when they're waiting four in the morning to buy bread. They weren't debating, oh, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, right? Everyone knew. But now with Theresa May, people go like, yeah, but maybe, you know, she did that thing, but then she did the other thing. You know, there's no consensus where everyone kind of goes, okay. After Brexit is gonna, hopefully not, but if it gets signed off and then people see how their lives are getting worse, like by the month, that's when everyone's gonna go, okay, it's, it's a bad thing. But right now it's yeah. not a consensus like, anymore. Do you think so? I don't think so. Here's why I don't think so. I'm from a country that had the biggest inflation rate in the 20th century after Germany in the 30s, right? Like every day you wake up, 300%. Even in my country, if the local currency went down 20% within a month and then never recovered, that would be, like, we would still be talking about that. No one is talking about that. So, you know, when you say people's lives are going to get worse, I kind of want to agree with you. But I think people's lives have economically already gotten worse. Like, people have 20% less money when they go to France to buy, buy the croissants. There are less croissants available, yeah, yeah. you know? And I think, I think what happens is people, things happen for a long time. And as an artist, I mean, as a person with a job, you know, this concerns me. But also as an artist, it's like people just get used to it. You're like that fake frog being slowly boiled and then you don't realize it, you know? And I think, I think you, just, you just get used to it. You just get used to it and that's the way it is and now you can't go and you can't work anywhere you want and you can't really afford Ryanair and also there's no Ryanair because they don't know how to land here anymore. And oh my God, you're the only British person who can't become Irish. What are you gonna do, you know? I, I think that's it's different because... I think yes. it's, uh, it's different because uh, we're used to being poor like, these British people, they've never seen poverty, like, firsthand, right? I don't know, man. I really, I think that, like, we, they haven't seen it in our time here, but I think they've seen it. I think they have seen it, and I think there's a huge contingent of working class people here, and I think there are people who don't, who live in the north, you know? Yeah. And I think I really, I'm sure you, you've done this with, when you gig. I distinctly remember the first time I was on a train, actually, to Sheffield. A lot of my stories on the way to Sheffield. Um, but anyway, there was a strike, right? So the train got canceled. Uh, and so we ended up on this very local, like switching from one local train to another, making our way from, from uh, London to Sheffield. And I was, like, there was nowhere to sit. And I was looking outside the windows, like one window after another, just like, it's just, it's just beautiful. This countryside is beautiful. And these buildings that appear disused, covered in grass, it's beautiful. And then you realize, you no, know, that's the industry that doesn't exist anymore. And there are people, like, 
miles and miles and hours of it. So no, I think, I think people our age maybe in this country, sure, but I think this country is not just made of people our age, and I think I, I want to agree with you, because I'd really like someone to write about something or to say, no, you know what, the price is worth it for us. But what's happening where no one is talking about the fact that we all have 20% less, whatever little we have, I mean, it's crazy. It's a bit crazy. Sorry? If you're exporting, the, the gentleman at the back is saying a week, if you're exporting goods, then, then it's, 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 Great. it's more... I don't product. export goods, unfortunately. I just buy, I just buy things in Sainsbury's. So. Um, there, 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 there's, a, there's a question yeah. at the back. No, it's just a follow-up to Victor as well. So I'm Romanian and Moldovan. Oh, and I actually wow. kind of disagree with what you're saying because mm -hmm. I came here for boarding school. And what you're saying about humour being unifying, I found it actually was really insular so I came here with a Romanian kind of humor and then people were like oh your mum's a bitch ha 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 and I was like what that's not funny and they were like no no that's really funny that's like our sense of humor and I was like that's actually not funny unless I find it funny too and like we started having this kind of debate about what's humorous and what's not humorous and like the levels of humor within society within our community and their community and I can find that actually often humor can be you know basically drawing these islands between people rather than unifying them as a purpose. And also on the point of poverty, I've seen a lot of poverty here similar to Romania and similar to Moldova, if not worse than that. And it's actually kind of funny because people here think, oh, I'm middle class or I'm working class, but they're so similar to us. And for me, that's the really important point is that they come from a really similar background despite the communist you know, lack thereof of a cultural you know, upbringing whereby you think of all the socialist kind of values and communist kind of tendencies, but they still see the same poverty. So I guess my question is, how do you see, do you see a bridge like going forward culturally between people who may kind of have experienced the same dose of, you know, poverty or social phenomena, but maybe come from different levels of humour slash cultural upbringing? So how do you see those bridges coming together for that's people That's a great to question. I guess that's a question for everybody. Do you want, do you want, I was going to ask a very similar question to you, Boyana, in terms of the future of your work and the work that you're doing. So maybe we can segue into you with that. I, I actually, I can't quite see you. Hello, hi. I think uh, I com I've had a very similar experience uh, of, uh, no, that's not funny, that's just harsh. Like, I think I've had, I've done a lot of cultural self-translation over the years, which is, I think, normal. It happens wherever you move, but when, especially when you're very young, it can be very difficult. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think we use humor in our work as a decoy, you know, because uh, no one really wants to talk about immigration, right? Um, I mean, it's a really depressing subject. And if you're not an immigrant, you kind of don't have to. So I think we use humor as a way to bring people in, and we very consciously use British humor. Um, as, which, you know, can't really be British because it's not constructed by British people, but we use what, what is seen as British humor to try and basically establish the same language um, between people. But I think, and I think in that way it can work uh, as a kind of but I, unifier. I, give me one second. Yeah. What, sorry, what's your name? Flavia. Let's say one, Flavia. 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 So I think Flavia wasn't just thinking about humor. I imagine she was just thinking about the power of arts to bridge divides. So if you're drawing on, moving forward, if we're drawing on your experiences of making work, but also your experiences of growing up in, 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 um, in Serbia and making work here, and moving forward, how can, you, how can we kind of, moving beyond 
29th of March or whenever yeah. it is, how can we you how, how can we use your draw on your talents and your work as a practitioner to try and heal the world? in the difference of humour as well in terms of building those bridges as well as the arts. Mm -hmm. So I guess there are two levels to that question because I think you might relate to what I've experienced. I feel like I should start by saying I didn't actually grow up in Serbia, I grew up in Yugoslavia, which is a whole different thing. So, I'm sorry. So, no, no, it's I fine. You were much younger. But I just... Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, but I, uh, I, I... So I, I have some experience of fractured countries. Um, if I, yeah. But I think... Um, I, I don't know because I don't you know like I don't want to sit here and tell you I can like we can change the world I don't think we can I think what I'm interested in is actually what I, I I'm interested in a lot of things and I, I think sometimes when when I speak about our work and when we speak about our work the, the kind of the, sh the very sharp political humor that we use doesn't come through in the way that we talk about it because we take ourselves a bit seriously but I think um, I don't know in the future, I really don't know, and that's difficult. It's a difficult question for me to answer what's going to happen in the future and what we're going to do in the future. I don't know if either of us is going to be able to live here in the future, you know? So I, I don't know. I guess we'll see what will happen after the 29th of March, and then we'll probably make some new work out of that. I hear they're testing this new system for settled status in Liverpool, and it's going swimmingly. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's a piece in that, uh, in becoming settled. I think that it's going to be, you know, I think we're all going to go for a transition, whatever our passports are, and some of us might transition out of the country, um, but we're all going to transition here together, and I think some of us have already arrived here with some experience of transitions, and I think no, figuring that transition out is going to probably be the topic of my work and our work, and I think, I think suddenly we're going to have a lot in common if we are settled, you know? whether for passport or for this new amazing system or for something else. You've been doing quite a lot of work recently outside the UK. Yeah, so in the next couple of months, we're doing a similar project in Copenhagen, where, so we're going to work with local Eastern, um, Euro, well, Eastern Europeans and Balkan, uh, Balkan immigrants there, because it turns out Eastern European in Denmark does not mean former Yugoslavian or Albanian. So Western Balkans are Balkans, like if you're non-EU, you're called Balkans. If you're EU, you're Eastern European. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I've also found out that as a non-EU citizen, where I, like as a non-EU citizen from the Western Balkans, I'm cl uh, classified as non-European by the Danish government. Um, so I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. So I'm gonna, um, so we're gonna do a pro. We're basically gonna work there with local Eastern European and Balkan immigrants, uh, with them to make another game about their experience of being immigrants in Copenhagen, and, that's gonna, and then we're going to show a version of it as part of um, an event called Culture Night in Copenhagen. And, and you're just starting that work? Yeah, we're just, I mean, we've started, you, we started here because we're establishing relationships. We're finding out what exists there, as, as how do people talk about these things, and a weird thing is that we're finding out that I think if you look at, you know, language is a barrier, but if you look at Google translated articles, I think they're about a decade behind discourse, I think, public discourse when it comes to Eastern Europeans, because it's still like, it's so great they do all these jobs we don't want to do. Mm. Um, and, but at the same time, the Danish TV had, they had this like, reality TV show where they make like, Romanian and Polish carpenters compete against Danish carpenters. And then like, but literally, like, they go into someone's house, the person says, we want to get this done, and then you have an Eastern European carpenter, plumber, plasterer, and a Danish one, and they give different quotes. 
and they do the same job for different amount of money, and then there's like a jury that includes the client deciding what's better. So, you know, there's... Extraordinary. Yeah. And then we're also going to go to Romania, which is actually going to be quite interesting as well, because we're going to work there with people who've returned, who've been immigrants and who have returned to Romania to see what that kind of experience is like. And I actually think, you know, there's... It's very... It's a very unique experience, I think, every country and then being an immigrant in every country. But I think when it comes to this thing of Eastern Europeans moving west, I'm, I'm willing to bet we're going to find some, some commonalities, and I'm very interested to find out what they are in the future. Yeah. Fabulous. A uh, short one. Yeah. I do think about the way we use the word immigrant and what's the difference between that and an expat? And why I've only ever been an expat, and yet you describe yourselves as immigrants. So is the question, do you classify yourself as an immigrant or an expat, or do you have any reflections on it? A bit of both. To, to what's, the, what's the story behind the words? Why, why are some people immigrants and some do people expats? There, do, do you think there are any Eastern Europeans who call themselves expats? No, I think that's like a thing for money and like you're very rich, you're white western, you move to a different country maybe to retire, maybe to live a very, I don't know, I, I just think that's like, it's a class thing. I think it's a class thing. I would not, I mean, at the same time, everyone has the right to identify themselves however they want. I, I am very happy and proud to be an immigrant. Um, I think that's not a shameful thing to be. Um, but I think, in my understanding of the word, uh, it's, it's a very much a class thing and a geographical thing. Like, you have to be from a specific part of the world and have a specific amount of money to call yourself an expat or to be called an expat. I mean, I, I would have thought, literally, um, there's a sense of the, the coming into something and moving somewhere and making it quite purposeful. But expat means you've still, you're, you're still quite linked to where you've come from. That would have, no, my, I've got some linguist friends at the front. How would you, how would you? No. Expat means you've come from here and gone somewhere else. Right. Immigrant means you've come here from somewhere else. But they're both quite loaded, they're, they're loaded phrases, aren't they? Do you, do you mean why an English person in Serbia is an expat and a Serbian person in England is an immigrant? Is that, or do you mean something else? Serbia is an expat. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. A, yeah. a, a Serbian person here is an immigrant. Yes, I agree exactly. with that. I agree exactly. with that. And they're loaded terms. I'm German and I came here 30 years ago and I never called myself an immigrant or an expat. But it just seemed like a normal thing. To, I mean, it, there wasn't even a word for it. And now it's turned into something. And I made a decision about becoming British but keeping my German nationality because I had the opportunity to do so. And a lot of people don't. And I thought it was really interesting what you said, that there's a, a group of people who are the, what is it, the relatives of Europeans who no one is actually even thinking about what their status will be. You know, it, it hadn't occurred to me either. You know, and there are I am that, that group of people. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know. And I just thought, God, it is like just... 200 people or something. No, no, I was, I was referring to... Sorry. Never, I was referring to a very small subgroup of the group that I belong to, but anyway. Yeah, yeah but I just think, you know, it just, it's all becoming rather fucked up, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I just want to say I think that everyone is already implying this, but um, 
So maybe it's not necessary to say, but that it's, it's not like an objective thing either. It's one thing what you choose to call yourself and one thing that what people call you. And, um, and some people in the luxurious position of being able to choose what they call themselves and some people are in a position where people automatically call them call them something. Would so you, it's two different things. Would you all call yourselves Europeans? I mean, yeah, and in my case, that's like a claim. No, but no, no, but I just want to say, in my case, I will defend it till the end, because also what ha what's happening with the EU debate is people are saying we're not leaving Europe, we're a part of Europe, and as a non-EU citizen who's also from Europe, I'm like, yeah, I know, and I think that like as much we can debate what we think about EU or not, and people have, you know, but EU does not geographically or politically equal Europe, so yeah, I'm European. Yeah, I, I just think way. technically that's you'll correct. Always, you'll always be European. Yeah. And, lo and lots of other things. Good. Um, I, I think, do you want, Victor, you yeah. can give us the last word. I feel, I feel strange considering myself a Romanian. Like, I know it's, because when I was back home, I was just a guy. <laughs> Came over here, became Romanian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I went to Newcastle, became Polish. Uh, went to Dagenham, was a rocket scientist. Uh, I dreamed that one day I'm going to go to the United States and become Mexican. <laughs> but it is, it is, Madam, you're right. It is a mindset kind of a thing. And it's also a, a thing that's being repeated at you, right? Like you read the, the, the front page of the papers, they call us migrants like we're right. birds. You know what I mean? Like, and you're, like you're birds. Yeah. Like migratory birds. Like birds yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> or bugs and yeah. locusts. But it's, it's also a thing of identity, right? Like uh, nowadays everyone wants to, well, how do we identify ourselves, right? Like we are here on this stage because we are not from this country or that our parents came from a different country. But where do you stop? Is it our grandparents who came from a different country and now we're not immigrants anymore? You know what I mean? So it's, 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 because it's such a new thing. We're discovering it right now. But what I feel like, I feel like we're at the point right now uh, where we can either go both, uh, either way, right? We can go to a way where we go, there's nothing in common, right? Humor cannot pierce anything. There's nothing human uh, about our existence and our experience that we can share and go, you know, you eat food, I breathe air, we're the same, right? So we can consider ourselves nothing alike or equal, which is another mistake that communists have made, right? Because we're not equal, we're different, we're individuals, right? I feel like even if we're here and you're here to listen to European, Eastern Europeans talk about our experiences, we all go through the same thing. I listen to music made in this country or music made in any other country in the world, and they sing about heartbreak. I never go, I wonder what they're, going to, what they're talking about. It's a human thing, it's a human experience. And what's weird about us is what's human about us, right? But we need to make that decision. Do we want to become smaller and smaller countries because we feel like the people around us are so different than the people from the next town, right? Like, you can take this, uh, Europe versus Asia, right? Romania versus the UK. You can, Liverpool versus Manchester. The Smiths versus the McAllisters. You know, two families. You can divide and bring people together as in any way you want. What do we want to do at the end? 
do we all want to live together? Because this is, we're talking about nationalities and identities, and to a certain extent, our identities are important for us because it's our families, and it's what we've learned for most of our lives. But to another point, we're just like all of you. So the evening didn't quite finish as abruptly as the edit suggests. Unfortunately, our recording wrapped up before we did, so we've lost the original thank you and applause. But its omission enables me now to extend my thanks for their reflections to Boyana, Victor and Miriam. Two years on, their thoughts remain as funny, irrelevant and resonant as ever. And, amazingly, as I record this in December 2020, we've still not worked out what life in the UK will look like post-Brexit. It's been a remarkable year for us at Dash Arts as we've watched all our live plans for 2020 fall apart and we've scrambled to create new ones. I'm so proud of my wonderful team who have all learnt on their feet and together we've made 16 podcasts since the first lockdown hit. We've got more exciting plans for podcasts and digital events in 2021 along with a return to in-the-room, non-dodgy broadband, sweaty live Dash events and productions. Follow us on social media and through our mailing list on our website, dasharts.org.uk, to find out more about our programme. And in the meantime, you can find more episodes of the Dash Arts podcast wherever you get your podcast, or on the podcast section of our website. If you fancy leaving us a little review after you've listened, we'd be delighted. Reviews help us stay more visible and would mean the world to us. We'll play out this podcast with the fabulously named Is the Party Nearly Over from Miriam's production Rendezvous in Bratislava. We also played a brief excerpt from Valentina from the show earlier in the podcast. The team behind the Dash Arts podcast is me, Josephine Burton, Christina Catalina and Natalie Beach. We'll be back in 2021 and before then we wish you season's greetings and strength through this difficult and confusing winter. Thank you for listening. Magda's friend's a tailor She makes us cocktail dresses Lotso has a gramophone He plays us all